Um, <clears throat> our scripture reading today is quite a short one, and uh, Dana already said it. It's from Exodus chapter 20. It's the ninth commandment. Uh, you shall not give false testimony. Uh, but some of you know that we have been uh, trying to understand the Ten Commandments, this, this ethical teaching of Christians, a little bit through the lens of a teaching tool of our church called the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written a long time ago, but which I have been finding week after week has some really good insights about how to apply those, you know, just those few short words and expand them to see how do they affect lots of different areas of our life. So um, what I'm going to do, this is kind of the traditional way to do this, I'm going to read the question, so I'm one, and then uh, you guys will be all, and you'll read the answer, okay? And it goes on for a few pages, uh, so uh, just be ready for that. So this is the Heidelberg Catechism, question answer 112. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the Catechism on this one. So what is God's will for the ninth commandment? God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a hearing or without just cause. Rather, in court and everywhere else, I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind. These are devices the devil himself uses, and they would call down on me God's intense anger. I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it, and I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Thanks, Tierra. I was talking to somebody the other day about uh, all the road construction in the neighborhood, which, uh, mercifully for the cries, is finally not happening on their intersection, um, but is now happening a little bit closer to our intersection. It's been going on for years, and and you don't want to grumble because, I mean, the streets end up looking good and, and, uh, and it's important work that they're doing, uh, but it, oh, it can be so loud. Now we've got this baby in the house and loud things are even extra annoying um, if they come during nap time. And it's just dusty and then if it rains, like it all gets muddy and gross and it's hard for me to get over here uh, without messing up my shoes. Um, and then sometimes it seems like they're making great progress and like they're working and all of a sudden it's like, oh man, the street is almost here. Like we're finally going to get our road back. And then the next day, like the crew is gone. Like, and they don't show up again for like six weeks. And you just kind of wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for them to do the next step. And they've been doing this in the neighborhood for like every year that I have been here. And it just drives me crazy. And, um, I kind of reached my boiling point, and I was telling this person about it. So this was like maybe three weeks ago. They were working on college in Fernando, and, and I'm walking down college, and I can see that the road's been blocked off for I don't know how many weeks, and, um, and they've dug like a big hole in the middle of the road. Uh, and there's, I walk up to it, and there's like a guy in the hole, and he's got like his hard hat and his vest, and he's like banging a shovel against a pipe. Who knows what he's doing, but he's, he's banging a shovel against the pipe. And I kid you not, there were like 20 other construction workers in their vests and their hard hats doing nothing but looking in the hole. This drives me crazy, right? I'm sure it does for you too. Um, this really illustrates my point, right, about how frustrating 
the construction is. And I'm sure you can relate, but I wonder this morning if some of you are thinking to yourselves, man, you know, I've seen a lot of construction sites. And you're thinking, you know, I've seen a lot of workers standing around doing nothing. And that bugs me too. But you're thinking, boy, 20 of them? Really, there were, Pastor Sean saw 20 of them standing on top of that hole? Boy, I don't think I've ever seen that many. Well, actually, I've never seen that many either. Um, it wasn't 20. It was probably more like eight. Why did I do that? Why did I add 12 more construction workers? I mean, eight, eight is a lot of construction workers. That's a pretty good story. It still makes the point. Where'd the other 12 guys come from? Why did I do that? Well, maybe you say, I mean, give me a break, Pastor Sean. Like, we're going to talk about lies this morning, and like, that's the best you can come up with. I mean, as far as lies go, this one's pretty harmless, right? Uh, I mean, not, not all lies are, are the same, right? I mean, the commandment, right, we just read like from the catechism, and the commandment is like, you know, you shall not give false testimony, and the commandment says like, just don't lie at all. But like, surely not all lies are equally bad, right? Um, in fact, some lies probably aren't wrong at all. And there's a few classics that you've got to trot out every time you try to make this point, right? Um, does this shirt make me look fat, right? Like, Lying is not always bad. Um, Or much more seriously, right? Um, History class, high school, right? You're talking about 1940s Germany. The Nazis come to the door. They ask, are you hiding any Jews in your house? Right? Lying is not always bad. And what both of these examples, I think, pull out, both kind of the silly one about the shirt, but also the much more serious one about the Jews, um, is that truth... It's supposed to be paired with love. Uh, we don't just tell the truth for truth's sake, but truth is supposed to be paired with love. And so, very famously, when the Apostle Paul is, is, is writing a letter to this early church in the city called Ephesus, and it's like a bunch of mostly new Christians, and he's explaining to them a lot of like doctrine and things like that, but he's telling them like what it will look like when you mature in the faith. Like What does it look like when you grow up in the faith And one of the things he says, one of the marks of people who have matured in the faith is that they speak the truth in love. And this is so important, because I know people, I know people who are very heavy on truth, and I know people who are very heavy on love. Uh, But if you only have one, I've said this before, if you only have one, if you have all truth but no love, if you have all love but no truth, when it comes to truth and love, if you only have one, you usually don't have either. Okay? Love and truth are meant to go together. And this is why the Heidelberg Catechism includes gossip under the ninth commandment, which I thought was a little bit weird at first, because gossip is not necessarily untrue. Right? Um, is it true that your classmate has an eating disorder? Or is it true that uh, your neighbor's parents, that they fight a lot? I mean, those things could be true, right? But that doesn't mean 
you need to tell all your friends about it. See, I learned about this principle in ethics this week as I was studying this. Just because you know something is true doesn't mean you are always obligated to volunteer it. Uh, you know those people who uh, tell it like it is? You know, they, they say something incredibly offensive and mean. They're like, hey, don't be offended. I'm just telling it like it is. Don't be that person. Um, just because you know that something is true uh, doesn't mean you are always obligated to speak it out loud in every situation. So I think if truth and love belong together, then there are right times and places for telling the truth, and there are wrong times and places for telling the truth. So maybe if you learn that your classmate has an eating disorder, you do not blab that to the whole class, but probably you should tell your teacher. Or like, if you learn that your neighbor's parents are fighting all the time, like you don't tell all your friends about that, but you should probably tell your mom and dad that. Do you see how that works? Like, truth in the wrong setting can be very unloving. But then that very same truth in the right setting to the right person is very loving. Truth and love belong together. This is why the Heidelberg Catechism says part of what it means not to lie. It says, twist no one's words. And I thought about how, for some of us, that's like our favorite thing to do uh, with words. Especially the words of like um, people that we don't like, or especially like I've noticed politicians that we don't like. We just like to take their words and let's just twist them. Make them look as stupid as possible. We love doing that. Right? Or it says... Don't condemn anyone without a hearing. This one made me think of the, the comments section uh, at the end of like every website ever published on the internet. Um, it'll be a news story about like a kitten rescued from a tree. And by the end of the comments section, it is so personal and nasty. Like, what's going on there? Like, why do we do that? And I think for a lot of us, we have frankly, we have made up our mind, even before someone else opens their mouth, we have made up our mind whether that person is worth listening to or not. And as soon as we hear anything that we don't like, even a little bit, we check out. And we don't even try to understand what they're trying to say. I mean, there may be few places with less charity and less love than the comments section on an internet web page. But it's not just, let's be clear, it's not just like these internet trolls out there online, right? We are all of us, we are all of us so quick to judge people. She's worth listening to. He's not. She's a Republican, so she's a bigot, right? He's a Democrat, so he's lazy, right? We just drop some personal insult, and then we can walk away convinced of our own righteous judgment. The Catechism says, don't condemn someone without a hearing. I think that means at least if you're going to criticize someone, take the time to try to understand them first. I mean, what a lost art that is. And this happens in the church. This really, ugh, this happens in the church. I mean, how many times 
Has someone been offended or mad at someone else in the church? And I get it, that's going to happen. We're going to step on each other's toes. That's normal. But so often, I think we would be so much further ahead if we would just give each other the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Oh, man. I mean, you heard that so-and-so said such-and-such to so-and-so, and and you just can't believe it, and I am never talking to her again. And I think if it's hard for you to believe, it might not be true. And so rather than like write that person off or treat them like scum, be like, huh, this seems weird. I think maybe I'm going to go and ask that person what they meant by that. I mean, just the benefit of the doubt. I know that it feels so good to rush to judgment. Oh, it feels good. It is so much easier when when everyone is black and white and right and wrong, when all your prejudgments are right. But the catechism says, give them a hearing. Just give them a hearing. So I think the catechism understands something. It, It understands how powerful language is. Uh, both for good and for evil. I, I don't know. One, I don't know how they studied this. It's probably made up. Uh, I think I learned it maybe in middle school, but it feels right to me, so I'm just going to share it. Um, I remember learning that if somebody insults you or if somebody puts you down one time, it takes like seven people to like encourage you or like compliment you or say something nice about you just to get you back up to like where you were before. One insult, one put down can put you all the way down here and it takes seven people to encourage or or compliment you to get you back up to seven to one. Language is very powerful. And I think that's why the catechism says not just don't lie, which is true, don't do that, um, or don't twist people's words, um, but it ends up saying, I mean, the last line, I think that is just, it's crazy. It says, I should do whatever I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. Whoa. I mean, can you imagine if we did that in our society? I, I can scarcely imagine that. I mean, even if we just did it in the church. If every time you heard somebody say something kind of mean about somebody else, or kind of dismissive, or something that made that person look bad, like what if you spoke up? I mean, how many times have you wished that somebody would have done that for you? I have that all the time. It says, do whatever you can to guard and advance your neighbor's good name. That's powerful stuff. But of course, we know this. I mean, I said it kind of forcefully, you know, this morning, but I mean, none of this is new. None of you have come in here today and be like, hold on, the ninth commandment is don't lie? Are you sure? I know it. Y'all knew this ahead of time, right? And you even knew the bit about how love and truth are supposed to go together. Y'all knew that already. There's a lot of this that I think we understand. It's up on the surface. We just need a little reminder from time to time, but it's definitely just there. But I, I want to end by talking about what I think is maybe a little more, I think I'd call it insidious, a little sneakier. It's these little lies, and I think that they they maybe can be a sign of something even worse than the other stuff. So I want to go back to my example with the the extra 12 
construction workers. Why did I lie about that? I mean, maybe you say it's a pretty harmless lie. But the truth would have been pretty harmless too. Why did I add 12 more construction workers? And I've thought about this a lot. Um, I've talked to you guys a bit about this before. And I've thought about it before because I do this from time to time. I, I, like, I add these little exaggerations to like a story that I'm telling. And I've thought a lot about why do I do that. And we'll just get real for a minute here. And I, I, think, I think the reason that I mostly do that is because I want the person that I'm talking to to like me. I, I want them to think that I'm interesting. Uh, and I think somewhere deep down, I'm worried that people won't think that I'm cool or that people won't want to be around me, that people don't really like me for me. But I think maybe if I could just like, make my life seem a little more interesting, maybe a little exaggeration here, or an extra construction worker there, right? Maybe then people will like me. See, the reason I think that I tell that lie, the reason I stretch the truth, ironically, it's for love. But it's not love of others, right? It's kind of this twisted desire for people to love me. And I don't think I'm the only one who has these kinds of self-doubts. These fears that drive us to like stretch the truth or tell like a little lie. I think this is pretty common. This sense that if anybody knew who I really was, they probably wouldn't like me. And I think that this is kind of common because a lot of times I think it's true. I mean, generally speaking, our world, and I'm going to include myself in that, we're very bad at true acceptance. Um, you know, we, we kind of masquerade as this tolerant society, but I think that is such a farce. Uh, we demand impossible standards of each other. I mean, we expect such a perfectly calibrated blend of like the right clothes and the right looks and the right friends. And especially lately, I've noticed we expect this perfect blend of the right tastes and the right political views. And you've got to even have the right tweets. And you have, to, you have to look down at and make fun of this group of people, but you have to praise and admire this other group of people, but you have to look down at and admire in just the right way. And all of these become like these prerequisites for truly being valued in our society. I think our world is kind of terrible at true acceptance and love. And I think it's part of the reason why we're tempted to lie. It's why we're tempted to stretch the truth, just to keep up. Because we, we all want to be liked. And you know, as crazy as that will make you, if you think you've got to do that, if you think you've got to tell all these little lies for other people to accept you, it will make you even crazier if you think you need to do that with God. You know, I think some of us have this notion 
that God is kind of waiting to be impressed by us. By our great piety, by our great sacrifice, by our good thinking about things. And we begin to think that we need to start like padding our resume with Jesus. You know, show them that we're the right kind of person. And we begin to think that God is just like the rest of the world. That He'll only really accept us if we stretch the truth a little bit here, and, and if we cover up that fault, and if we draw attention to that good deed, then God will like us. And I suppose that if God is like the rest of the world, um, we'd probably have to do that. If God is like the rest of the world, I think lying to Him probably makes some sense. But I got good news this morning. (laughs) I got good news this morning. God is not like that. God is not like the rest of the world. The wonder of the Gospel, I mean the beauty of the Gospel, of Jesus Christ, the reason that His kingdom is worth our lives is that He both, He completely knows us. Just, you can just let that one sink in for a minute. He completely knows all of our mixed motivations, all like the messy baggage and weird thoughts and nasty things we've done and said. He knows us completely. And He completely died for us anyway. It's not like we fooled him, people. Like he knew what he was doing. (laughs) And he knew who he was doing it for. I mean, we run around like crazy people trying to manage everybody's perceptions of us. And we'd rather tell lies or exaggerate the truth than risk people knowing just how boring or just how inconsistent or just how like not very good we really are. brothers and sisters in Christ. We know who we are. The cross, behind me, the cross tells us who we are. And it tells me that when we are in Christ, we're accepted. All that garbage, it's forgiven. We're loved. That's who we are. And it came at such a cost, right? And I think we cheapen that love when we pretend like His blood couldn't cover my faults. Like He'd need me to spin the truth a little bit before He'd accept me. God's not fooled. He's not fooled by our carefully groomed persona. And he's not impressed with 12 more construction workers. He just loves you. His death says it all. You know, our world is so bad at true love and acceptance, but our God is so very good at it. So put away the spin. He sees through it anyway. And even still, he died for you. Even still, he died for you. Truly you. Not your managed persona. Not your public image to the world. He died for you. Truly you. And now he says, come to me. 
all you who are weary and heavy burdened by, by all these lies, all this managing of your persona, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the good news that uh, we can just rest from all this anxious worrying about being liked or being accepted. We can just rest in you. Lord, we pray that that truth, above all truths, might reside in our hearts and stop some of the crazy striving that can drive us to despair and, and resentment of ourselves or others. And Lord, I pray that you would replace it with a freedom. Knowing that we are accepted by you, Lord, that we could experience this freedom to go and with reckless abandon be pursuers of the truth and proclaimers of the truth, to seek what is right and good without fear of what other people might say or do, but with every confidence that we are your children and that you have gone to the greatest lengths to show us how much you love us just as we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you to stand if you're able, and we're going to sing the, the song, Speak, O Lord.